Good morning, church. Um, we will be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, uh, 1 through 11 this morning. Um, while you're turning there, uh, let me uh, summarize for you. This is written by Solomon, and uh, uh, he's highlighting life without God. He's, he's, he's attempting uh, to find some kind of joy, some kind of purpose uh, without God. Um, a life where the focal point isn't God. And, uh, and so that, that's kind of how we started this book. Uh, if you want to jump back to chapter 1, a couple of uh, uh, thesis statements here. Um, verse 2, vanity, vanity, says the preacher. Vanity, vanities, all is vanity. He's, he's, he's recognizing that his pursuits, our pursuits, are, are vain. And, uh, of course, uh, a summary statement in 12 through 14 of chapter 1. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and search out. By wisdom, all that is done under heaven, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. And so what we get in chapter 2, then, is is... Solomon zeroing in on some of those pursuits that he that he attempted, and so um, and that's where we're going to pick it up in in verses one through eleven, so uh, of chapter two. And so um, let's read that, and then we're going to pray. I said in my heart, "Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself." But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer, cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what good uh, for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired... I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and... And when we read this and when we, when we gather, we, sometimes we maybe assume too much of ourselves, too many good things of ourselves. Um, we may come thinking that we are truly, singularly devoted to you, when in fact what Solomon is doing and will do as we study this text is to expose that maybe, maybe we're more comfortable uh, than we ever imagined, and uh, comfortable without you. And so I pray that that in, in, in your way and by your spirit, you would shock us into um, how much we really need you. 
by studying these things. And so um, that also that there's that in this day, in this time, there there can be and is a substantial hope in Jesus. And so I pray that that um, that He's glorified in this, and that this pursuit, this study, is not in vain. It's not it's not a chasing after wind. It is for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we see that in chapter two, um, there are several things here that he is uh, he's he's really trying to to find uh, a purpose in, and and so he tries mirth and joking. He tries alcohol. Um, he tries working. Uh, he even tries to use others. Um, in in the first part of seven, um, he tried riches. Um, he had uh, revolving investments. He had a growing uh, security um, that was not satisfying. Um, and then he tried another form of entertainment by by having singers, both men and women. And then uh, he had at the end of verse eight, he had. Um, he had many girlfriends, and we're, we're going to talk about that. Um, all, all of those things had a limit. And so, notice with me verses 1 and 2. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? So, Solomon here invites himself to test, or an, another word for test um, from that Hebrew word is to prove. The, the, he's, he's, he's trying to prove to himself that in this case, entertainment was going to give him this a great satisfaction, a complete satisfaction. Um, and how he did this, we, we don't know. No, the details are not given. I don't know if he hired court jesters or downloaded some some Tim Hawkins or something. I don't, I don't really know. Um, but, but what Solomon discovered in this form of entertainment and in this form of show, in watching the show, that that's all it was, was just a show. It didn't, it didn't provide meaning to, to his life at all. And so he came to the conclusion that it was mad. And so, uh, so he looked around and, and saw the next thing, verse 3, I searched with my heart. Um, how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So, um, so he tries alcohol, tries drinking, and it's vanity, all of it. And now, was he drunk? Not necessarily, because it says my heart was still guiding me with wisdom. So if you've been around a drunk, you know that at some point, the whole notion that this isn't very wise, Solomon never got to that point. Um, his heart was still guiding him with wisdom. And beyond that, this verse is, is kind of a technical, difficult thing to, to understand. And so um, we're going to lean on the New Living Translation. Um, I'm going to read that to you. And hopefully it'll make a little bit more sense. But listen to what how the new New Living Translation handles it. It says, "After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine, and while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. 
In this way, I try to experience the only happiness most people find during this during their brief life in this world. Isn't that sad? That this is this is what people are pursuing for happiness. Uh, about three thirty a couple of years ago, um, <clears throat> the bell rang at work, and of course the lines form after you know behind the time clock as people are clocking out and. And one of the guys got in line, and he looked back at me, and with a smile said, Beer 30. And clocked out and went home. His, he was going home to a six-pack. He was going to go home to alcohol. And the New Living translation of this, um, I, I like this version because it, it kind of puts a spin on it where you're just imagine for a minute. That drinking alcohol, according to Solomon, is the only happiness that people find in this brief life. That's the, the, the only happiness that they have is to drink. That's vanity. That, that's, it's, it's empty. And, and I've, I've never had a hangover, but I know that follows drunkenness, that follows drinking. And so I, I can't imagine... How you'd feel the next day. In that moment, you forget all of your troubles and think that everything's okay, and then we're reminded again of how how hard it is. And so, um, so Solomon tried drinking. He tried humor, and it didn't work. So. Uh, in verses 4 through 6, he said, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So <clears throat> he recognizes that being an alcoholic doesn't work, so he becomes a workaholic. And so he invests his his life in in these amazing works. And, and I mean, I'm very amazing works. And I'm, I'm helping um, my girls plant a vegetable garden, and I'm struggling just to assist in a vegetable garden. It's not even an acre. We're talking, you know, half an acre, a third of an acre, maybe, maybe. I can't even begin to fathom what it would be like to try to be the driving force behind pools and vineyards and parks. And that's what Solomon did. I can't, I, I can't imagine the level of maintenance that all of those things would require. I mean, have you ever tried to maintain a pool before? Now, granted, did Solomon put you know chlorine in his? No, not necessarily. But did he have to have it dragged for dirt? Probably. Don't know. And, and his pools were not like little backyard pools, which, you know, every year I, I, somebody will come to me and my family and they're like, hey, Dad, we've got this level spot. Let's put up a pool. 45 minutes to three hours in a pool once every week, once every couple of weeks, doesn't compare to the hours that are invested in trying to maintain that pool. And so my answer is always no. Borrow somebody else's. All right. So, um, or a garden, for that matter, a vineyard, acres of a vineyard. Again, struggling in, in a vegetable garden. 
I can't imagine having fruit trees and vineyards for acres and acres and not have a motorized tiller. Solomon didn't. And he was the driving force behind all those things. Now you guys know that, that trying to maintain all of that stuff, that becomes a whole lot of labor in itself. And enjoyment can be stripped from those things. And, and it, I don't know if it was happening to Solomon or he was aware that it, that it, that it could happen. Regardless, the beginning, beginning of verse 7, it says that he bought male and female slaves. And said, and he said, I had, and he had slaves who were born in his house. So he used others, and by used, we're not just talking about. Um, in fact, uh, Rod did a really good job at the end of Ephesians. Uh, well, at the end of Ephesians in chapter six, dealing with the the household slaves and masters and that kind of thing. And our closest equivalent, as we discovered in in the first century slavery. To, to us today is um, employee-employer relationships. So we, we would like to think maybe that's how Solomon handled things, but, it, but his son Rehoboam, who took the throne after him, had the people come to Rehoboam with these words, Your father made our yoke heavy. And so Solomon, it wasn't necessarily... You know, a nine to five type thing. He 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 didn't just use people; he abused people, and so he went and bought slaves in order to maintain all of the stuff that he was that he had. Why? So that he could take those couple of moments and walk through his vineyard and feel some level. Of satisfaction. And it went so far as that it says that, that there were slaves born in, in his house, which either means that they were they were already slaves, they are, the slaves were already acquired, or the slaves that he purchased were making families and having more kids, or having kids, and they became slaves. So we had generations of slavery happening in Solomon's house just to maintain. All the things that Solomon thought would make him happy. So, um, so he he goes on at the, in the middle of verse or the, in the last half of verse seven, beginning of verse eight. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. So we're not just talking about materialism, we're talking about wealth, and a whole lot of wealth. Um, riches, um, probably more, than, well certainly more than he could maybe even account for here. He had a bunch of stuff. Now, they didn't have the stock market, and they didn't have electronics, they didn't have uh, online banking, um, but they did have flocks and herds, and um, and the, the math is very simple. For every cow you have born, that cow that's born has the potential of birthing many cows past it. And so every animal then that could bear more animals became very important. It became a sign of, of great wealth. And so, I mean, he had humongous flocks and herds. 
Um, it is said that he was wealthier than probably in, anybody during his time for sure. But but if you look at 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 his level of wealth, billionaires today would turn their head and go. I mean, I'm not going to get a nod from a billionaire, but so, would Solomon? Absolutely. Um, he had that much, and so ironically. A growing investment that was supposed to bring security for years to come, it really didn't. According to Solomon, these are these are just vain things. All of it's vanity, and so it did not bring him lasting satisfaction. However, you would think the next thing would surely, right? Notice the middle of verse eight. I, I got singers, both men and women. So he, so now we're on to entertainment part two. I mean, if joking and humor wasn't good enough, then we're going to try. We're going to try singing. Um, we're going to try good music. And I, you know, it's funny. You know, if you if you love country music, you think that every hard rock song sounds exactly the same. That's I'm kind of in that boat. Like, there's a reel of songs played at work, and sometimes the heavy metal stuff comes up, and it's like every song sounds the same. Well, there's a lot of heavy metal people that listen to country, and they're saying the same thing. Like, every song sounds the same. And, and it's crazy because it's not just like, I'm going to listen to this song for three or four minutes. People are, they have invested themselves in rock and roll. They've invested themselves in country music they, to the point where those are not just like, well, that's your taste. I mean, people get angry over styles of music. And so it's sad because... It only lasts for a little bit. It's only a few minutes long, and then you're on to the next song. It's it's there's it's just loaded with irony. Um, it seems silly, uh, and yet that is not unfamiliar to the church world. Um, in fact, in pastoral circles, it's called worship wars. So, have people? I know people that have left church, have left the church that they've been committed to. Because that church moved from playing hymns to to singing some choruses or vice versa. And so, um, unfortunately, it happens all the time. And so, and in fact, I've, I've heard people say, if, if I don't have the right kind of music, then I can't get into the sermon. That doesn't, that, that's, that's putting way too much on music. And Solomon recognized that. That singing has a limit. It's it, it can be as as vain as the next thing. And, and I mean, you see that in the life of Saul. I mean, the only way he calmed down was David playing his harp. But that was temporary. It was temporary. Music is temporary. Um, and of course, music when when we're singing about and talking about the resurrection is is very different. And so, and we'll come to that. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Um, so, but it was vain for, for Solomon. And so he goes on to the next thing. In verse 8, he had many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. And so um, he had, uh, what is a concubine? A concubine is, is less than a wife, but more than a girlfriend. And so uh, a, a live-in. That's 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 what that means. Kids, if you have no idea what that is, you can talk to your parents. I'm not going to deal with it. Um, uh, so we think, we look at our society around us, and we think that the divorce rate is so high, and people have such a, a failed view of marriage. 
Can you imagine if Donald Trump had 700 wives and 300 concubines, 300 girlfriends? Uh, We're really not, our society is really not worse. I mean, we don't have a monarch, for one, and for two, he's not making political gains by marrying a whole bunch of people that really aren't aren't really a wife. they're not wives. And so he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, and you would think after 10 wives and a couple of girlfriends, concubines, that he would sit back and say, this is vain. Um, I am not going to find satisfaction in another person. But not Solomon. He tried 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's, that's three women a day. Roughly. Three women, and we're not talking about them sitting down and, and, and drinking tea. I mean, 300 women a day. That's, and and um, at what point, at what point do you go, this is vain. There's not hope or happiness in this other person. I can't find it in this other person. So um, all these things were vain. And we come to some summary statements here in, in 9 through 11. He says, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eye desired, I did not keep from did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So uh, let me just say that verse 9 here is not necessarily a prideful response. He's not sitting back going, ha, you know, I became great and surpassed everybody else. He was just making a a summary statement here, a concluding remark. And so so, um, he tried. He tried more than everybody else. Um, He just didn't hold back. He didn't hold back on anything. If his heart desired it, that's what he wanted. In fact... This passage says that the reward was the toil. Um, and then he concludes that even the toil, the, the reward from, the, from toiling for those things, working for those things, were, it was all vanity. And so it was a striving after the wind, which, what a picture. Can you imagine going outside and feeling a breeze on your face and, and hoping uh, that by feeling it, that you're going to figure out which direction it came from, which direction it was going. And, and to, to try and you, you, you go back into your house and pack all your bags for however long you needed to figure out where that wind was going. That you were going to, you were going to pursue the wind. However far it took you. That's called vanity. How silly would it be to chase the wind? And what he is saying is that that these pursuits are no different. It's like chasing the wind. Solomon had everything. His hands were full. And with great irony, full hands were left empty-handed. 
because it's all vain. So, um, so how do we apply this? Well, there's there's three things here. First, <clears throat> Solomon wants is pursuing a complete satisfaction. What an order! What a tall order that is! And yet, what is so mind-boggling is not just to think that Solomon had all of these things. He pursued all of these things. He, I mean, hit he. he as far as toil and work, there was nobody that that matched Solomon. Um, second place was way behind. That's how lofty his pursuits were, and yet, I want you to understand something. The cross of Christ is loftier than the works of Solomon. Um, and, and I'm not saying this just to tag the gospel onto the end of uh, an Old Testament passage. I want you to see that this is very much a New Testament uh, teaching as well. So, um, if you've got your Bibles handy, I'm going to be in 1 John chapter 2. John gives us a great summary statement here of, of this chapter. Um, but with a New Testament spin, with a, with a, a Christological type spin. And so, <clears throat> 1 John 2 verses 15 to 17, you're probably familiar with this text. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does not, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Um, so John is saying that it, it's not just an empty pursuit. He's saying that, that when we're pursuing the world... And not pursuing God, it's because we have no love of God. That's how lofty, that's how awesome the, the gospel message really is for believers. That it's enough that, that, that the things of this world pale in comparison to, to following Christ. And so, um, Jesus in Matthew 7, Matthew 7, 21 to 23 in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, and not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, I can't even... It's one thing to, to recognize that the things of this world are, are completely vain. They're empty. But, but Jesus says that, that religion, apart from him, apart from his will, it's empty. I mean, can you imagine going to God, holding up, and not, and not, not saying, God, all I have, all I've ever been given, that matters is the blood of Christ. That's it. Can you imagine going to God with, with your religious resume? And, and and you tell him all the things that you've done that you feel are worthy of heaven. And his response being, I, I never knew you. The, the, the sovereign God, the, the God who is acquainted with every heart of every person that's ever lived is going to look at people and say, I don't know who you are. You ignored my word. 
vanity. Think about that. Religious activity. Apart from the gospel, it's vain. It's all vain. He goes on, if you want to back up, uh, the chapter before, chapter 6, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves, in verses 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, your heart, your heart is going to pursue the thing that you treasure the most. And he's telling us that if our heart is here, it ain't right. If, if it's the stuff that we see, it's not right. So, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, we need to be heavenly minded and not earthly minded. Um, especially in this time, um, with the coronavirus running rampant. I mean, we, it's time to think of heaven. It just is. Because that's all that matters. That's all that will be there. And could Solomon save his life? That everything I pursued, everything that I did, it had meaning because I did it for the glory of God. And I would say, no. That's not necessarily why he was pursuing these things. Guys, we can be head over heels for the things of this world. But to be head over heels and in love with the things of this world means, according to the New Testament, that we're not in love with God. We're not pursuing God. And so, secondly here, we need to know that life, apart from Christ, is vanity. Um, <clears throat> we believe that the things that we see have lasting value. But they don't. My girls, a couple of months ago, were they had gotten out the scrapbooks. We hadn't looked at them for a while. And I have this thing where I, you know, I want shirts that I wear to last. And I love comfortable clothing. And so, <clears throat> so we're flipping through these scrapbooks. And to my shock, I looked at some of the stuff I was wearing and I was like, that had to be comfortable. Where is it? I, in fact, I don't even remember owning that shirt. It's because the things of this world, they don't matter. Things that we can see, it, they don't matter. They're, they're going away. Um, they're going to pass away. And so we need to, we need to make sure that we are, um, have eternity in mind in the things that we do. It, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a pool in our backyard. But can we have a pool in the backyard for the glory of God? Yes. Um, can, we, can we watch a Christian comedian for the glory of God? Yes. But it has to be for the glory of God. And so we need to keep this in mind. that The glory of God, the unseen glory of God, is more important and drives everything that we do. Uh, thirdly, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Christianity feels empty sometimes. Especially when we're we're being isolated by coworkers and friends and family, and, and we're feeling that that being ostracized for following Jesus, being made fun of. Um, I'm thankful that Caleb, during our Good Friday service, read First Corinthians 15 to us. Um, let me read some of that here. 
So 1 Corinthians 15, we'll pick it up in verse 12. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. I mean it all. Everything hinges on the resurrection. If he's not resurrected, your faith, it's futile. And, 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 and those that we've listened to um, and you know, setting preachers, current day preachers aside, we're talking about the scripture. Paul is saying, I've not accurately represented God to you, which means that, that, that your pursuit, it, it's, it's vanity. It doesn't mean anything. It gets worse. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There's no hope. There's, there's, there, there's no hope in the grave. There's no hope after death if Christ isn't alive from the dead. And he goes on, if in Christ... Uh, we have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. We're pathetic if Jesus is not alive. If Jesus is not alive from the dead, then this video, this sermon, what a waste of time. Why are you wasting your time? If Jesus is not alive from the dead, this means nothing. With no resurrection... Following Christ is like chasing the wind. It's not just meaningless. It's vain. But that's not where Paul stops. He goes on and says in, in verse 20, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Not, not futile belief, not, not pie-in-the-sky stuff, but in fact... Fact, factual. He just, in, in the verses before this, he's talking about people seeing Jesus alive from the dead more than 500 at a time. And liberals will tell you, uh, well, yeah, but, but the resurrection was just a big hallucination. 500 people at the same time hallucinating the exact same thing. I don't think so. But in fact, Christ is raised from the dead. And so um, our, our, our faith isn't in vain. It's not futile. And uh, so, um, about a month before my grandpa passed away, my brother and I took him to Subway and out of, we took him out of the nursing home and went to Subway and we ate. And, and uh, my brother had this notion that we should drive to the old homestead. The old homestead is where grandpa and grandma, who had died the year before, had invested about 60 years of their marriage. Um, and, and so you can imagine that in that, in that home were, were 60 years of memories together. 60 years of, of five children and their children growing up. And I mean, that was their place. That's, that's, that was their home. And so here was Grandpa on his first visit um, after being in the nursing home back to the, back to the homestead. We pulled up. We drove down the driveway through a gate and a fence. 
And we looked at where the house used to be, and it was gone. The, previous, the, 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 the current owner had taken a bulldozer and bulldozed down the homestead, the old, the old house. And it, and it, was, it, was, worn, it was worn out. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was condemnable. But can you imagine 60 years of marriage and family and all the investment in that place, all the time in that place, and the ground remembered it no more. It was vanity. Those things that are seen are not worth the pursuit. Thankfully, when Grandpa passed away, moments before he passed away, they, they, they found out that he was, he was contagious and they, they moved him into a clean room and they wheeled him in and as they were wheeling him in and, and getting the, the, the curtains up and things like that, <clears throat> the nurse said he looked up at the ceiling. He arched his back. And that's actually how he died. Looking up. And the last thing that he did was that he laughed. Can you imagine... To, to set those earthly vain things aside for the pursuit of something greater. And in your last moment, hear God Himself saying, You've done well. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And the last thing that we'll remember about Grandpa is that right before he died, he laughed. Was it him entering into the joy of the Lord? I want you to know that life's not vain. In fact, Paul tells us at the end of chapter 15, not only that life isn't vain, but it's rich with meaning and purpose. And, and that because of the resurrection, he says... Uh, he, he tells the Corinthians, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, in the Lord, your labor, your work, your toil for his kingdom, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. It matters. Does life without God is there satisfaction in it? Is there joy in there? It may be temporary, but it's not going to last. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that life really isn't that empty. And <laughs> And I'm thankful that I'm, I'm really thankful for the coronavirus because it is causing us to stay home. It's causing us to, to look um, upon our families and, and spend time together that we, we very desperately need. And yet at the same time, Father, so many families are running into the difficulty of being together all the time. And it's because they're not pursuing, they're not pursuing the things they, they normally pursue. And the reality is, 
It could be that they're just simply not pursuing you. And so I pray that you would work here um, through this text, through this sermon, in the life of this church, um, that we would recognize that, that at the end of the day, the gospel really is the only thing that matters. And so if we come to this text today, we come to this sermon, and we recognize that, you know what? I do pursue the things of this world. Then continue to expose us by your spirit. Help us to recognize that the things of this world really don't matter. Your glory is all that matters. Your gospel is all that matters. Us looking up as we breathe our last and entering into the joy of the Lord, that's all that matters. And it, it matters because... Because Christ is resurrected. So we thank you for that great, glorious, rich, meaningful hope. In Jesus' name.